Pavillon Afrique is a platform that promotes stakeholders of the film industry from Africa and its diaspora. With each episode, you will learn a little bit more about the ecosystem, thanks to our guests, professionals, experts, and film lovers. Welcome to all. Today, it's my pleasure to introduce you to the multi-hearted Chike Nwofia, born in Nigeria. He's now an American citizen living in San Jose, California. I, am I right? Correct, yes. <laughs> Hello, Chike. How are you? Fine, thank you. How are you? I'm fine, I'm fine. So you are an actor, a theater director, an educator, an award-winning filmmaker with over 50 productions to your credits, and also you are a consultant of theater, film, television, and multimedia projects. So that's a lot for just one person, since you also have created the Silicon Valley African Film Festival. What drives you? Well, thanks. Um... I'm not sure if that's a lot for one person, because if you actually look at all the things you, you, I mean, yes, when you list them out, it sounds yes, like... Yes, it is, because it's you all, Then you see the trajectory is still the same, you know, mm. that one is an actor, or a filmmaker, a film curator, it speaks to um, the creative arts and content creation or content curation, and, um, and that's the thing. Um, what drives me, which is your question, is um, it's just the, the whole thing about um, being able to express, but, not more, but more than being able to express an idea or a thought, um, but to use that to make an impact in the world we live. Mm -hmm. And for me, the, the underpinning of all the things that I do, whether it's in theater or film, or in this case, for 11 years, curating the film festival that we do in Silicon Valley here. Um, it's, there, there has always been that drive about how can I use my talent and skills to present Africa? How can I use my talent and skills to change the narrative of, of, that we have on Africa, especially outside of the continent? And, okay, uh, see, this is the, the motive. Right, yes. So that's, yeah. that's, that's, that's the thing that motivates me, that's the thing that drives me. So whether I be um, directing a play or directing a film or, or, or curating a festival, mm -hmm. um, I'm always primarily interested in how does this reflect Mama mm -hmm. Africa? Who's telling that story? How can we tell Africa's story through our own lenses? Okay, but so it means that you have kept very close ties with Africa, so you go back there very often. Uh, with your company, Resus Media Group, you also do a lot of consulting. Tell me about your clients, about what you do there, and uh, what you do, which country do you work with? Um, oh, well, that's a, an excellent question. Um, of course. I as, as in, I, I was born in Nigeria, um, will always be Nigerian. I'm a dual citizen, so it's not like if I renounced my Nigerian citizenship. Cool. I'm a full-blooded Nigerian. I'm from the Igbo ethnic group of Southeast Nigeria, very mm -hmm. proudly so. And, uh, and so, I mean, I have my family still back home, my mom, my brothers and sisters and cousins and all of that. And so it's, it's the thing that, um, that we say one never gets to leave home, really. Um, and so 
that is always very important to me that yes, I've been in, in California for about 30 something years. Um, I've spent, yes, more time in California than I yeah. did in Nigeria, mm -hmm. but, um, but it's in my blood. And so I'm still very connected to home. And, um, and over the years, as one has gained a lot of skills and talent, um, what I've tried to do is to um, continue to connect with uh, my colleagues on the continent, um, in Nigeria, in Ghana, in South Africa, in Rwanda, in Malawi, um, and different places. I've been fortunate that I'm able to travel to all these places and make connections, make friends and alliances, and, um, and have been able to work with, um, with young people. Um, I have a passion for young people, really. And so um, not too long ago, um, I was in Sierra Leone with an NGO called Families Without Borders. And, um, and I was down there working with um, some young people at the University of McKinney, uh, teaching public speaking as well as digital storytelling. And that was just phenomenal for me. Um, several years before that, I worked with the, the AMA Awards when they had what they call Film in a Box, which was a traveling um, teaching program on film. Mm -hmm. So I was in Malawi doing that project. Um, I've worked with the Mashariki Film Festival in Rwanda. As a matter of fact, um, it's one of those things that I'm so proud of because the, the young filmmaker um, Trezon had come to our film festival with a film several years ago, a short film, and, uh, and we hosted him and um, stayed in contact with him. And so when he began the Mashariki Film Festival, he asked if we could support him and we, we jumped on board. And so ever since they started, now they're celebrating their 50th and uh, I've stayed in close proximity with that film festival. I was there last year as one of the jury presidents and, um, and we keep working. And in fact, every year they send their staff to our film festival um, to work with us in order to see how we do our things. Um, I'm very excited about those kinds of things. I've worked with the Nigerian Film Commission on the Zuma Film Festival, and, um, and that also um, through the incredible um, um, talents of their staff and their managing director, um, Dr. Chudia. Um, we were able to execute the Zuma Film Festival a couple of years ago and also program some workshops and those kinds of things. I'm continually um, connected to the continent. Um, staying in contact with the filmmakers themselves, um, and in fact, people across the value chain of filmmaking. That's uh, that's that's what I do. That's what that's what gives me life. And what, what, one thing you love doing is teaching. Oh yes, yes, yes. Oh. I yeah. I you know even here, um, I'm judge professor at one of the colleges here. I teach African history, um, but in terms of film as well, I teach you know film studies. Um, within the community. Um, I used to be the president of a TV station here in, in Mountain View and I um, was able to institute some training programs, particularly for young people and people in the, um, in the minority communities. Um, I believe my father always used to say that, um, he used to tell us that no matter what you do, no matter what you become, whether you become a doctor or, or a computer scientist or a lawyer, make sure you find a place to teach. Um, whether it's in a primary school or secondary school, just teach something, teach somebody something. And so that, that has always stuck with me. And, um, 
And I just love the fact that um, that one is in a position to you know, to create pathways for young people and, and share with them. I don't even call it teaching as such. I call it um, providing an enabling environment for young people to learn. Um, it's giving them a, a learning environment that they can thrive in. And so it's to motivate them, it's to point them in the right direction, it's mentoring, really. And, um, but yes, uh, I love it. I, um, in fact, as we speak, I'm developing a program with one of my colleagues for Liberia, for, for the youth. Um, we're looking at a couple of other things. And so I just love to come into a place and, um, and, and we can create programs that will be fun, but also um, um, give some skills to our young people. And this is the most important. Over the years, which kind of evolution did you notice in the audiovisual arts industry in Africa? That's a good question, actually. Over the years, um, what have I noticed in the evolution of the- Good and bad. I hope there are well, more yeah, good but, and bad. It's a very good question. And I think it's important that that question gets asked because it doesn't get asked at all. I don't think it doesn't get asked enough. And so uh, I'm glad you're asking it. From where I stand and from what I've seen over the years, um, I am really, really excited about what, what the trajectory of the audiovisual, as you put it, um, industry on the African continent, uh, what that trajectory is looking like. Mm -hmm. Particularly, remember when I started, I said, I'm always very interested in how do we tell our own stories ourselves? Because my film festival was started based on this premise that for far too long, Africa's story has been told through lenses that are so far removed from the continent. And these stories, these myopic narratives have created blurred interpretations and blurred perceptions of Africa and Africans. You know? And so what we decided to do with our film festival was to create a platform for African storytellers to tell their stories. You know, these Eurocentric, perspectives of Africa, no matter how well-intentioned it is. But when you don't have cultural competency, when you don't have the language, and you take your camera and go make that movie about those people, it's always gonna be through a warped lens. So what, what excites me is that over the last few decades, because the cost of production the cell phones now are film cameras. There is the democratization of platforms like YouTube that people can put their own things without having to go through all these stumbling blocks. So what I've seen on the African continent that excites me is the explosion of African storytellers telling African stories. Okay, so there is a will to really, uh, for Africans to tell their own stories, but, what about the quality of the, the works? Well, you see, um, that word is very loaded. Um, and the word I'm talking about is quality. Mm -hmm. um, of course, there are technical definitions of certain things. There are specifications that 
you know, whoever is curating your work has to specify it and say, hey, you know, you have to shoot it this way, you have to do this. Um, Hollywood has its own set rules. Um, there's a way to tell a story, the story about technicalities. Yeah, there are all of those things. But when we start unpacking really what we mean when we talk about quality, um, one has to question whose perception of quality are we really talking about? Mm -hmm. Whose definition of quality are we talking about? Is there one standard of quality for anything, particularly in the arts? And I tell people that, and even when I work with young people, and I say to them, make that film, tell that story, as long as, in my opinion, it is coming from a place of truth, it is your voice you're adding to the global conversation. If you don't have the $100 million budget and you have a $1 budget, do the $1 story. Yeah, but we know that quality doesn't entice um, money sometimes, and Africans are very creative. Uh, and even the scarcity of money makes it even more, make them even more creative. Right. And, that's, yeah, and that's what I mean by, you know, deciding or trying to understand what we really mean by quality, mm -hmm. you know, because quality sometimes is equated to big budget and glossiness. No, you know? this is not. No, no, but it depends on who is looking at it, because mm -hmm. I've been on juries, you know, and I'm sure yeah, you have. Yeah, but you are a chicken. Perception. So for me, in terms of what I've seen with quality is that, of course, the more resolution you have, the you know, the finer your picture looks and that kind of thing. And so, as I mentioned before, those tools with which we make films are now getting affordable. And so young people can now shoot 4K even on their phones and smaller cameras that don't cost that much. However, um, there's still some work to be done. The quality is getting better, mm -hmm. but we also need to not forget the fundamentals. That if you really want to move from being an amateur filmmaker to a professional filmmaker, yeah, because then there are things that need to be, you know, we have to pay attention to. You have to make sure you yeah. develop the work, you have to make sure the script is correct, and all of that stuff. And then you begin to move in those. And, um, but overall, actually, I'm really excited um, because sometimes people judge this thing called African cinema based on the lowest common denominator. They see a film on YouTube and they say, oh, that's a Nigerian movie. That's how Nigerian movies are, you know. But I can also show you movies produced out of Hollywood that are worse than that, but nobody ever says that. Yeah, you know, yes. Because that's a perception. Uh, you know? There is an aspect that we have to, to talk about because you're yeah. a businessman. So yes. you know that when a movie is shot now, it's time to monetize it. And mm. this is an issue probably not in Nigeria when it's uh, uh, easier, I, sh I could say, but it's in a lot of countries, it's uh, an issue to monetize the films. Right, no, no, I'm not, listen, I'm not in any way suggesting that, you know, quality is not important, you know, and, and like I'm I say, it depends quality, on- But how I'm talking now about monetization- of How to monetize films, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, there's no, the thing people need to also understand is there is no, there is no one set rule. Um, there is no, it's not a mathematical answer. You know, you could pour all, 
look at it. We have so many Hollywood blockbuster films, so to speak, that they use that you know, yeah. hundreds of millions of dollars, and it tanked. It didn't make a dime. Mm -hmm. And so um, there's an element of luck involved. However, there is an infrastructure issue that we are facing on the African continent, understandably. Mm, People always I think that it's easier in Nigeria. Well, easier is relative. Remember that one out of every seven African is Nigerian in terms of numbers, just the sheer numbers in that continent, in that country. So you have to understand that within the Nigerian um, boundaries itself, the country called Nigeria, there's a lot of human beings in there. And when you talk about monetizing film, it's about numbers, really. How many people are going to buy your film? How many eyeballs are going to see your film? All of that stuff. So I don't think oftentimes it's fair um, to compare a lot of the other countries. Some countries have only 3 million people in them. And then to compare them to a country that has 200 million people um, in terms of you know, oh, they're monetizing. But you see the volume, mm -hmm. the volume is also the point. Because for any, all of those films people point to that made money in Nigeria, nobody's talking about the hundreds and hundreds of other films that didn't make a dime in Nigeria. Yes, of course. But this is, you know, this is like that in many countries. Because there are a lot of, a lot of works, a lot of books which, which are written, a lot of films that are shot. And, uh, you know, only a small fraction of them will make it out to the, to the movie theaters. Right. And that's when I talk about infrastructure, that um, we have to, um, okay, so let's be honest. We don't necessarily, we don't really have a, you know, a real film industry in the real sense of the word on the African continent as of yet. Yes, there are film studios, there are film production companies, there are filmmakers and all of that. But it is really not structured in a way uh, because the entire value chain of filmmaking needs to be talking to each other and supporting each other in a very, very interconnected way. It is still very much fragmented. And so in places like Nigeria where, yes, you come to the big cities like Lagos and Abuja or Port Harcourt, there are film theaters where people can go see movies. Even in those places, you still don't have enough screens. And then not to talk about fanning out to the entire parts of the country where people just don't have movie theaters. And, and then the film going culture hasn't really been cultivated and it's gonna take time. And then when you now fan out to other countries, you start finding that the things that are called movie theaters are really not, in essence, the ideal movie theaters. But that's not to say that that's wrong. It's just to realize where we are, but then figure out within the context of where we are, how can individual countries and communities find ways for filmmakers to still be able to stay alive and monetize what they're doing? So again, I say that depending on where we are, depending on the community we are, perhaps community screening centers might be an option. Instead of going into some remote village and building a six-screen six theater, maybe that's what's an option. But then what is, as a businessman, the question is, 
what is the investment, what it will be the return, and how will that help influence that ecosystem within which that screen is built. So the, 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 the ROI, if you will, um, modalities within the African continent should not be compared directly to what we have here in places like United States or Europe and all of that. I think we need to look at the African issue and not even the continental issue, but look at the regional or perhaps the country by country issues and figure out how can we create a enabling environment for filmmakers to still make their films and still be able um, to monetize. And then the filmmakers also have to be realistic that you have to, as a business person, before you inject your money in a business venture, you have to understand the size of your market potential. So if you are in a market that over the years has never gone beyond X, Y, Z, then you have to figure out what type of budget do I need to make films that will be realistic in monetizing, you know, and not just spend all the money you have and invest $500,000 in a film within a community that you know is never gonna give you back half of that. So, you know, it is a whole different mindset that I think is important. Yeah, you travel a lot around Africa. Is there a real um, mind uh, for co-productions in the Say continent? Uh, are people really doing co-productions in the continent? Right. I mean, I, I think that's, I, I'm seeing quite a, a few of that happening. Um, whether it's actual co-productions or cross um, partnerships, actually, that I'm seeing between filmmakers and, um, and some smart film directors are, are beginning to internationalize some of their products where they will shoot some of it in Nigeria and shoot a little bit in South Africa. Africa or shoot a little bit in Kenya and shoot a little bit in South Africa, that kind of thing. So and something that is growing. Sorry? It's something that, that is growing. That is growing. And that's what I mean by Africa, finding African solutions to things. To figure out how do you plug into different markets? Is your film such that you can actually, is that script such that there is an opportunity for you to spotlight maybe one of the actors from South Africa? in that film, does it change your story? If it doesn't, and if perhaps it enhances your story, can you think about that for a second? Because perhaps that might get you a pathway into that market. So that's what I mean. And even within the regions, you know, is your story so rooted within a specific region, a specific country, a specific ethnic group, that there is no space for you to figure out how you can make it a little bit you know, more accessible to other markets. And that's what's, and I've seen that growing. I'm seeing people like Kula Falonari of Nigeria doing a lot of that, AY of Nigeria. There are other people that are doing some fantastic work, um, but they're trying to make sure they internationalize. Shelly Frimpong Manso in Ghana, um, she's always in Nigeria working with a lot of Nigerian actors and actresses and they shoot both in Ghana and Nigeria. So these are people that are beginning to understand the economies of scale, uh, be very smart about how you cast, how you tell your stories, and uh, we can make this thing work. Okay, and tell me about the fundings of films in the countries that you know best. Um, film funding? Yes. Um, gosh, um, 
Well, of course, again, Nigeria, you know, becomes one of the things, um, the fact in Nigeria that there is a bank, you know, the bank of industry in Nigeria mm -hmm. uh, that has been mandated by the government to actually create a fund that is called Knowledge Fund. That is unprecedented. Um, but do they so, only finance uh, Nigerian films or co-productions? As well. well, I I I am not sure if if co-productions are part of it, but I know that um, because it is actually um, the taxpayers' money. Um, I think their mandate is to help develop an infrastructure in Nigeria that can support the film ecosystem um, from bottom up and top um, and 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 then um, top to bottom, and so the whole ecosystem of film. Um, in the country, um, they have different categories for um, exhibition houses to be able to access. And these are loans, but they are low interest loans and, um, and with fairly good um, terms. And so the exhibition houses can access that, production houses can access it in order to you know, upgrade the equipment. Uh, filmmakers and producers can access that in order to produce films and then be able to pay filmmakers. So that type of infrastructure, I think, um, helps um, get films going. There are other places, I know South Africa also has its own version of grant program for filmmakers where they can apply and get support from the government. And, um, and so, um, again, like I said, every country, every community, um, and I'm, I'm, you know, when I travel, even when I, I'm, guest, I'm a guest of film festivals and I get to interact with some of those that that are pushing the filmmaking ecosystem and funding it. Um, I was very impressed with what I saw in Rwanda, for instance. Um, and I was just in Uganda not too long ago. And, um, and I was very impressed also with what I saw with the Ugandan Communications Commission. Uh, but they're all addressing these issues based on their own um, particular and specific needs. Some places I've seen that they're providing facilities through the banks, like in Nigeria, uh, where you can access loans. In some places, it is not loans. Some places, they have pots of money available for filmmakers to um, they apply and then they get grants and they monitor the grants production and all of that kind of stuff. Um, so those are the little things I've seen going on that um, even though it's still in its infancy, but I think uh, it's okay, very important. But, okay, thank you. What, um, what about the about private individuals investing in films? Well, that has always been the way because, you know, on the African continent, um, you know, one of my friends was joking the other day saying that everybody's a government to themselves. Mm -hmm. um, and he meant it in a very interesting way when he explained it. He said, you know, and the most part, you know, you have to generate your own electricity, you have to buy a generator, you have to get your own um, security, you have to get your own water, you have to dig your own borehole. So you're your own government. And, uh, but taking that analogy into the film ecosystem is, you know, our creatives have always found a way. Uh, people have been making films uh, by borrowing, you know, spending their life savings, getting their family members together, doing, you know, doing all the necessary things they need to do um, in order to make films. Now, um, we hopefully are getting to the point, and I'm beginning to see traces of that. It's not yet 
really um, part of the mainstream mm -hmm. where filmmakers can put together their prospectus, if you will, uh, put together their pitch decks and find private investors, individual angel investors or impact investors, bring them into a room, make a pitch, and then people can bid and you know put money into some of these things. That is also happening, but it's, we're not there yet. And uh, I would hope that um, we can, because we have a lot of high net worth individuals on the yeah, continent. And, um, and it pains so they invest because, in the same industry. Right, you know, and, um, and, and it's, it's also oftentimes, and I've had the privilege of talking to some of, some of these people too, that because of the return on investment on a film, oftentimes takes a little bit longer than their typical understanding of a transactional business deal where you buy XYZ and you sell it and then you get your profit. You know how much you're buying it, you know how much you're selling it, mm -hmm. they calculate that. Some of them, or a lot of them, still don't understand how this film thing works. Yeah, and there is a, the uncertainty of getting your money back or not. Right. So you, you don't have to be, to be adverse to uncertainty. That's the thing, you know. And so, that's, that is so, so it's going to take a little bit of time, you know, and because remember, people don't really have a lot of cushion. Even the wealthy, um, if you lose your money completely, oftentimes the insurance systems are not working. There's no welfare state. You know, there are things too that sometimes some of us in the West don't really think through um, because it makes the risk um, so magnified that when some of these people hesitate, we begin to condemn them. Well, we, we have to hold their hands to the point where they can get comfortable enough. And that's where I think um, we have to look at public-private partnerships uh, that can begin to help cushion some of these things. And so if, for instance, um, a private investor is interested in investing in a film, is there a way that, okay, the government doesn't need to spend the money, but can the government stand as a surety against that fund so that at least that person gets a little bit of sense of a cushion? that ultimately they're not going to lose all their money, that if all else fails, this can happen and the other can happen. We have to figure out how to do these things. Um, it's sometimes a little bit complicated, but I think we need to begin to find a way. And it takes one and two and three or four of these high net worth individuals to come over on this side of the equation, begin to work with filmmakers, but those of us in the film industry have to figure out a way to, to educate, to handhold, and, um, and encourage some of these people. And, and I think also one of the things that I was telling my students is when you're approaching somebody for the first time, build a relationship first and then bring them in. If you have a short film you're making that is not going to demand a lot of money, or if you have a feature that is not going to demand a lot of money, even if you have the money, maybe that's the time to get one of these people to join you. Because guess what? If you can get them to invest 20,000 US dollars today, mm -hmm. then maybe in two years, that same person might be investing $100,000. But if you hit them the first time out and say, I need $100,000, they might get freaked out. And you might never get them back in. Yeah. So we need but to figure education out education and yeah, building a relationship for everything yeah. visible in the scene. Tell yeah. me about the 
um, impact of, of Netflix getting more and more involved in the uh, African content? Um, well, I mean, I would say that it's, it's, it's always a good thing, um, just generally speaking, um, when we, when we have to look under the hood, as we say in the United States, you have to look under the, you know, into the engine and try to figure it out. Um, a lot of the Netflix things are opaque. We don't know what some of the mechanics uh, and the motivations are. I don't work for Netflix. I don't speak for Netflix. But whenever what it tells me, and I tell this to my clients and as well as friends, actually, I say, nobody comes to you just because they like you. <laughs> if anything, you should reflect on this stuff and say, maybe there's something we are not seeing here. Maybe there's something we are not seeing here. These guys are business people. And yes, like I said, sometimes a business can decide to take a hit for one year, two years, three years, can really plan out to lose money for one, two, three, four years. Why? Because they are building the market. But they've calculated that if they lose money for the first three or four years, the money they are going to make in the fifth year is going to be 20 times more than they ever lost. So we have to understand that this is not charity. We should celebrate it because it shows that people are paying attention to who we are and what we do. And, uh, and so the extent to which we're here talking about it, it, it sheds light and points to the African film industry and the African film ecosystem. So and I'm now they are available in a lot of countries. They are available worldwide, actually. Right. Yeah. So some movies that are made in Nigeria and Ghana. Right, yeah. And so they are going to be able to beam our films, have people click on films from all over the world, and they're going to allow the world to discover a lot of the work that we are doing on the continent. And I'm also happy, of course, when I see colleagues and friends and people, uh, whether I know them or don't know them, but when I see Africans getting paid, you know, to produce work, to direct work, to write, to act in these types of movies, it's a good thing. Um, the only thing that I'm hoping that doesn't happen is that we now start creating this hierarchy of these are Netflix filmmakers and these are other filmmakers. Because um, if we let it get out of hand and Netflix filmmaking becomes the standard filmmaking, and if you are never on Netflix or don't have anything with Netflix, nobody regards you. And so if you go and look for funding and if the, these people we're talking about, the high net worth people, we now say, have you ever done anything with Netflix? And you say, no, they start wondering if you're really a good filmmaker. You know, there is a risk of having that kind of thing happen. And I'm hoping that we are aware that not everyone, even the United States, not every filmmaker here gets on Netflix. Not every filmmaker gets a Netflix deal. And, um, and so as Netflix is coming and waving through the continent, let's celebrate that. Let's use that as motivation to keep doing our work. Um, let's get paid when we get hired, you know, on Netflix projects. Uh, but let's also realize that there is something here. If we've never really thought through about how 
how valuable our stories are. Let this be a wake-up call to us that, hey, these guys are coming because they know that it's, it's God. <laughs> yeah. Go so, somewhere. Yeah. Okay. So uh, your festival, Silicon Valley African Film Festival, is in next October. Yes. So tell us about it. Well, um, the Silicon Valley African Film Festival, we started this 11 years ago. Last year was our 10th anniversary. And like I said, it's, um, it's just a festival that is so dear to my heart that was started out of passion. Um, and it was a festival that we started to create a platform for African storytellers, emerging and seasoned filmmakers to come to Silicon Valley and exhibit their work and share their work with the community and the world. And um, it has really grown into this incredible celebration of Africa. We show films, we have a fashion show, we have a marketplace, there is food, there is entertainment, all of that rolled in one. We have four screening rooms running all through the period of the festival and filmmakers from all over the African continent and the African diaspora, they come together and celebrate one another and connect. We create a real uh, filmmaker-centric environment. And so for filmmakers that come to our festival, uh, they come in and they know that this is their festival. We are a filmmaker's festival. Because you come to our festival, we know you by name. You are part of the celebration. And, um, and they come back. We, we invite them as long as uh, they can make it to our festival. If you come once, you become an alumni of our festival. And um, we have WhatsApp groups of people that are uh, filmmakers that have attended our festival. And um, they connect with each other on WhatsApp. They call themselves class of 2019, class of 2018. And they're always connecting with each other. Um, some of them are doing projects with each other across the African continent and um, collaborating on so many things. We, it's, it's a festival that I'm really proud of. Um, last year, we showed 85 films from 34 countries, and, um, and it was phenomenal. Um, over 50% of our films, um, typically, are by African female film directors. More than 50%? Over 50% of our films. In fact, we decided last year, our 10th anniversary, to celebrate that. And so we had this special panel discussion that we called African Women in Film. And we had a panel of incredible five female directors from the African continent on stage. And they were talking about their work, their journey, um, their films. And it was a celebration that, uh, uh, that I'm so proud that we were able to do. Okay, give us a date so we may come to see. Yeah, to yeah. this year it's October 9th through October 11th in San Jose, Silicon Valley. And um, you can check out our website at SVAFF, which is our acronym, Silicon Valley African Film Festival, SVAFF.org. Um, and we, we invite everyone to, to join us because uh, it's really a celebration of Africa. We call it Africa through the African lens. Perfect. Thanks, Chike, for sharing your insight with us. Thanks really so much. And uh, to all of you, thanks for listening to Insiders You or the African Film Industry. 
subscribe and tune in next time.